Champions League is back, baby, and uh, welcome back to, <laughs> sorry, I got too hyped, I forgot about our intro, welcome back to the Blues on Parade podcast, where all we do is talk Chelsea and talk shit about everyone else. As you can tell, I'm excited, Champions League is back, uh, obviously the result wasn't exactly what we wanted, but damn, it was an entertaining match, honestly, for uh any of the neutrals watching out there. Uh, but first, let's introduce our co-host, Zach. I'll start off with you. How are you doing, bro? Thoughts about the... Uh... Well, uh, I usually have my whiskey during our podcast, and today I poured a double. Ooh. Um, it's very much needed. So if that doesn't explain to you how I feel after the game, I don't know what will. Just I feel frustrated, but at the same time... Um, it was a good performance, like you said. A lot of things that were positive. And just to let you guys know ahead of time, we uh, had some technical difficulties. So if the audio quality doesn't sound as good as normal, um, we usually record on Discord. There was an issue with that. So now we're back on Skype. This is honestly where it all began. Huh, Andres, don't you remember recording on Skype? Now we're spoiled by Discord's audio quality. Yeah, this is... Back to back to where it all began, you know. Started from the bottom, now we're back at the bottom. <laughs> Funny how life goes, huh? You mean mid table? <laughs> well, we're close to the bottom. I think that might be the, the trajectory. Closer to the bottom right than now. the top. Yeah. <laughs> God damn, man. Well, let's let's start off uh, talking about this uh, first leg of this Champions League round of 16 draw against Borussia Dortmund. Unfortunately, ending up in a 1-0 loss um, at Dortmund. So they didn't get any away goal benefits from that. Second leg coming up at Stanford Bridge is going to be crazy. Um, opening thoughts. Andreas, I'll start off with you. Opening well, thoughts. Luckily for us, the away goal rule is, is scrapped. That's of last year. So oh, cool. We're yeah. good. we Gucci. It doesn't, that doesn't matter Either way. anymore. Yeah. But... You know, this is one of those extremely cruel matches. Things were looking good, um, not just for 30 minutes, but over a full 90. I'd even argue this was probably our most complete performance under Potter. But obviously, if the goals don't get scored, it's hard to, to make that argument. So it's just, I feel like we got the short end of the stick. It just, it feels unfair, but that's life to quote our own manager. I just, it's disheartening to see our players do everything in their power to the best of their abilities, some limited, some others exceeding expectations, and yet come out like we got cheated once somehow. Yeah, just to kind of piggyback on what you're saying, Andres, I think it's important that we emphasize how good of a performance it was as a whole, like you said. 
we created a shit ton of chances and probably should have came away with at least three or four goals in my opinion. But I think the bigger theme after the match, once the initial emotion settled down, was the fact that I think the general tone of the fans, for the most part, this is barring the ones that are stupid, obviously, but for the <laughs> most part, they're seeing little bits and pieces of progress, um, mm-hmm. you know, both in and out of possession and transition on the attack, especially when we're transitioning defensively, we look a lot more solid as well. Overall, it just looks like a, a more cohesive unit. So, and I know that the away fans um, gave a pretty decent ovation to the to the team after the match as well. So that's something that's definitely been missing for this season. So, I I'm taking a more positive outlook on it, like Andres is. I I think it's a good thing that slowly but surely the fans are getting on board with the project. Hey, talking about fans, those Dortmund fans were intense loud the whole match that was a scary atmosphere to play in so you know the fact that we got away with a one nil lead i mean sorry one nil loss is maybe not the worst result but still i'll let's start off by going through the starting lineup um looked like in attack we were running a four two three one and on defense it kind of shifted to a four four two from what it looked like but uh, going through the starting lineup, we had Kepa in goal, back four of Chile, uh, Koulibaly, Thiago Silva, and Reese James. So nice to see uh, Chile and Reese reuniting uh, as our fullbacks. Uh, midfield duo, Enzo and RLC. And then in the, the three up front, Mudrik, Felix, Ziyech with Havertz playing striker. Um, so... Thoughts on the team selection? I I honestly, besides the RLC decision, but I mean, I'll admit it, I I missed the West Ham match. I was at a bachelor party, so and not only did I miss the game, I also missed last episode, which is even worse. Um, but that was the only questionable starting decision. I think everyone else was exactly what I would have done. Uh, Zach, what do you think? Yeah, I, I agreed with the starting lineup. I thought that um, RLC did enough over the weekend um, to kind of earn his place back in the team. Um, he didn't have a very good first half, but kind of grew into his own coming into the second. But the three playing in front of them, Mudrik, Felix, Ziyech, we knew that it was going to be something along those lines. Um, I probably would have preferred Sterling in a match like this, but um, you know he did come down with an injury. So more or less the same lineup that I uh, predicted last week. Shocking. Chelsea and injuries. Uh, yeah, I think right? I, I predicted this outside of Koulibaly. I think I called for Trevo to get the start just because we haven't seen Koulibaly in the side for a bit for some reason. So, yeah, I mean, Tom, I know you didn't watch over the weekend, but RLC had a very vintage RLC performance. And without Madueke being registered, it only made sense for Ziyech to be on the right side since... Sterling was reported to be injured. So I thought this was the strongest 11 we could have put out in the current circumstance of who's healthy and and uh, who's registered. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the Koulibaly decision, I think, over Trevo. I mean, the for Champions League, I would I 100% trust Koulibaly in that spot. And you just couldn't bring we, – we didn't register Badia Shiel, obviously – so, I mean, he's the only reason why 
we haven't seen him, um, Koulibaly. But um, let's start off talking about, I think, the main point of this match. Uh, just our finishing woes. <laughs> uh, we got so many Twitter questions about the same thing, about this very topic. Um, I'll ju- I'm just going to shout all of them out and combine it into one question. At Sophie Bikes, Ronnie Ashworth, at CFC Ronnie, at Newbie XYZ, and Black Emoji, all on Twitter. Uh, they wrote to us asking how we fix our finishing problem. So before I pass it on, uh, today we had eight shots on target uh, as opposed to two shots on target for Dortmund. Um, expected goals, Dortmund had 1.28 and we had 2.05. But I don't even think the expected goals does much justice for the chances we missed today, honestly. I can think of six chances that all reasonably should have ended up or could have ended up as goals. You know, Felix's two chances in the first half. Koulibaly's chance saved, you know, Emery chance cleared off the line. That's three. Reese James had two chances, a free kick, a half volley. Then the Enzo shot, all three of those shots were just amazing saves, honestly. Um, So the fact that we didn't score is... A combination of being unlucky uh, and just what's his name? Koble having like, again, like these, these keepers turn into prime Casillas against us, but he looked amazing. Um, Zach, what, what do you think needs to happen? We need a striker. I mean, I think that's a, that's a good start, Um, but that doesn't really do much for us right now because we can't buy one at the moment. So, I'm confused. To be honest with you, I'm kind of caught in between two different mindsets right now. On one hand, I feel like, well, on one hand, I know we were unhealth, um, unlucky in this game. I mean, very rarely we hit the post twice and not get a goal. Um, and then even concede, you know, a cheap goal off of one of the, those attempts as well. You um, say very rare. You say very rarely, but it's not that rare for us. It really. No, is. no, no, no. It's it's, That's it's just how definitely it's not that rare. But. Um, the other frame of mind that I'm stuck in is if we can't buy a striker, it feels like this team is on the verge of just popping. A part of me wants to believe that. I don't know if that's just me being biased with my blue tinted glasses. I, I feel like I say this every single year on the podcast when we continue to not score goals every single year. But um, I think with the addition of Joao Felix, um, obviously he's in tremendous form, probably should have had two or three goals today. You combine that with guys like Mudrik and, and Madweke, once they get their footing underneath them fully, I really think that they're going to start contributing in the goals and assists categories a little bit more. Um, I'm not really looking much at guys like Kai Havertz, who I actually thought played pretty well today in terms of his link-up play and just kind of being that false nine um, hockey assister. He probably should have had two or three hockey assists even, but um, yeah, I, I really don't know how exactly to fix this because we're creating a fuck ton of chances and if you're Graham Potter you're looking at this performance and you're thinking okay the chances we're creating can't really get any clearer or better it's not like there's an in-game tactical adjustment that we can make to get Joao Felix in on goal more often he was in on goal two or three times today usually that should be enough at least on the top side that should be enough to get the win so 
I guess I'm leaning a little bit towards the it's going to take a little bit of time. I'm relying on those new signings to kind of pick up the slack, but um, it still remains to be seen as of right now, obviously. Bench Kai Havertz. That's it. Give him a break. He, Potter has already shown that he'll do that by benching Mount now two, three games in a row. I can't remember how many that is. And then today you see Mount come off the bench and he actually looked fresh. He didn't look brain dead. And, and was actually a positive sub, unlike his last two, three months in the blue shirt. So to me, it's obviously in the Champions League, we can't bench Havertz. But yeah. coming up, you can in Southampton. And you can again until, I believe, March. So what, two more weeks or so where you can give him a break. Because I think right now, the difference is that when you have a striker, they don't do much thinking in front of the goal. Uh, they're okay with missing because they know their only job is to score, so they just need to keep getting into chances. I think the mentality is a lot different for these attacking mids and playmakers when they're in front of the goal. Um, you, you know, they say, like, we have all these stats for big missed chances, but I'm pretty sure someone like Holland and even Mbappe have similar numbers of big missed chances. The difference is these guys are strikers. And I think they're okay with the failure of missing because they know they'll get theirs. And and we Zach and I discussed this at length. Kai is just not a nine. You grow up being a striker, you know that there's good times and bad times, and you gotta, you need to keep shooting. But when you're someone like Kai, and now you're told that your whole job is to score after 20 plus years of being the guy that facilitates others to score, it's just different. And I think give it to Fofana, let him be tough, let him be let him get the ugly goal. That's what strikers are there for. And I think we just have too many guys looking for the pretty goal. There's a reason Felix today missed uh, the cutback from Ziyech because he tried putting an upper 90 curler. Then he got around the keeper. A number nine probably just rolls that in on the ground, but he did a little too much power. It hits the crossbar. Little things like that, I think, just go down to not being a true nine. Uh, it sounds easy, but it just it's going to take a little bit of guts from from Potter to to just pull the plug on Kai for for at least the next match, in my opinion. I, I like what you said about the mentality, like the difference between a striker and like a, a midfielder, because that, that's really what he is. Um, it's definitely true. Uh, I think a guy like Fofana, a guy who is a natural striker and has from what I've seen a striker's mentality like it I think it's probably a no-brainer that he starts against Southampton like that's the perfect opportunity for to do it because Southampton is so shit um but uh I think I think it's very likely we see that yeah I mean just think back of when Broja was healthy nobody says Broja is the most polished guy but he got a, he got himself a goal like he just willed it he was physical he knew where to be in the box and Missed a bunch of chances, but he still looked like a threat, which is something we simply just don't have. Hey, we have Lukaku coming back next year. Um, <laughs> uh, is still our player as well. He can play Premier League football. Yeah. Can he? I don't know. Uh, someone who can play Premier League football, Joao Felix. Um, easily the best player on the pitch um, for either team, I thought. 
except for Koble, actually. Koble was the best player on the pitch by far. <laughs> um, and, I mean, yeah, he had those missed chances. Uh, but overall, I mean, he looked amazing. I think we talk about this every time he plays now. Uh, that pay whatever it takes to keep him. But each game he plays, that number goes higher and higher and higher. Um, I mean, Atletico has so much leverage now over us because I'm in love with him. He's 23 years old. Uh, I just, I don't know. I mean, Andreas, I'll start off with you. Talk about his game today and what you think about the future. He has to be a Chelsea player. I think... If we're talking about the future, this is the guy that you need to build this team around in terms of the attack. That's how I feel about Jao Felix right now. We haven't had something like this since Hazard. He, in the first 10 minutes, legitimately put a midfielder on his ass from dribbling. I can't remember who it was, but the guy got spun so bad that I swear he had to tie both shoes somehow afterwards. (laughs) Like it It was insane, and he just pops up in every... In every position, he gets the ball. He is looking forward, whether it's to to get a one-two or to get someone through on goal. And then he's there for the ball afterwards. You saw the Ziyech ball he played. And then who did Ziyech find for a chance? Back to Zhao Felix. It's it's crazy for a guy to come into this team and immediately be at the top of his game when he hasn't been at his own club. Like Simeone is has to pay for his sins because. I mean, this guy was written off by so many people that the $125 million that Atletico paid went to shit. But we show that if you let him play in his best position, this guy can still live up to the hype from Benfica. And, yeah, you have to pay the money. I I don't care. Like, I'm pretty – everyone keeps talking and Kunku is a done deal, so maybe they've already set the money aside there. But you have to sign – Zhao Felix. There's no ifs, buts, or whatever. He loves the club already, and things are clicking. So whatever the price is, we have to pay it. We have to. And I think a couple of weeks ago we said his price would probably be like around seventy million. What what's that number now? You think, Andreas? I'm thinking anywhere between 105 and 110. Zach. Yeah, I was going to say just over 100. I think it's definitely going to be or it might not that might not be the final figure, but that's definitely what Atletico is going to try to recoup. They're going to try and get their money back on him. And rightly so. I mean, based on the way he's playing, um the fan reaction, it's not just us that love him. It seems that every single Chelsea fan is just unanimously in love with him. Um it's very rare that a player comes in as quickly and does that, especially with this fan base. Um with with Joao Felix, it we finally have a player that has elite close control on the ball and elite vision and playmaking ability in the middle of the pitch, and that's something that we haven't had in since probably Juan Mata in his Player of the Season when he was playing number ten when he was playing the ten. Um, the only other times we've had that really have been Hazard out on the wings, and again, that's not somebody that's in a central position. Um, that poses even a bigger threat than somebody who's just, you know, used to cutting in from out wide. So I say pay whatever the damn fee is. (laughs) I know we have a good relationship with Atletico. It's absolutely baffling to me how it didn't work with him over there. I mean, just the thought of putting him and Griezmann behind a goal scorer 
makes me salivate. And the fact that Diego Simeone hasn't thought of that makes me extremely grateful. So, um, you know, he's a Chelsea player now, and hopefully he remains one over the summer. Something that I did notice with him, though, um, in this game in particular, and I know he didn't have the greatest game ever in Mudrik, but he does seem to have pretty good chemistry with Mudrik already. Um, early on in the match, the first 20, 30 minutes or so, he was looking for him early. Joao Felix was looking for to release Mudrik early, and maybe that's something that we could look forward to more in the future. Again, you know, if, if Mudrik's making a run in behind and stretching defenses, Joao Felix could either play that pass or he can just dribble the ball into the space and, and create something else from there. I mean, it just provides endless opportunities for us um, on the offensive end. And then in terms of the goal scoring for him, not too fussed about it. I think he's going to get his eventually. Um, you know, he was a bit unlucky today, but it's very encouraging to see that it's not just one game that he's gotten himself into these positions. Every single time he's played for us so far, he's gotten himself into at least one or two goal scoring positions where he probably should have put something away. So again, a player that young, we know he has the quality. Um, I'm willing to bank that he's not a Kai Havertz in front of goal long-term. He is going to come good for us. Um, it's just a matter of just, you know, being a little bit patient, and I think it is coming, especially with him. You're talking about Mudrik, right, when you're saying that? Yeah, yeah. His chemistry yeah. with Mudrik looked really good. I mean, it just looked like they were, you know, obviously it's not perfect right now, but just the early signs are there that, you know, they like playing with each other. The link-up play, at least, is there. Right. So. You know, when we, when we first signed him, I was kind of adamant that uh, he was best played on the wing, but I think, Zach, the way that you described it, um, I, and from what I've seen, I I love him centrally. And the crazy thing is, all those things that you described, things that we were missing from the cent from a you know a central position, we have Nkunku coming who provides the same exact things at maybe even a higher level. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how we can get both of them on. Uh, but uh, Ben Sky like, playing Kunku at the nine. Oh, I mean. Um, the what I'm envisioning is Kai Havertz not even being on the team at this that, point. Yeah, yeah, like That's a maybe, real possibility. Maybe he goes back to Atletico and brings the price down a little bit by a couple thousand pounds. I don't know, a couple thousand euros. But no, I'm just kidding. But I don't know. Maybe, maybe he can go to Spain. Um, we'll see. Uh, let's move on. I kind of want to talk about uh. The way that the fullbacks, uh, Chilwell and Reese James played today, um, this is something I mentioned a couple weeks ago, and I've seen it on Twitter a lot recently, um, saying how Grant, with Grant Potter, you don't really like recognize an identity that he plays. And I think now the inf- inverted fullback is in a four, two, three, one, that's, I think that is going to become what his style is like the, the identical and of identifiable theme. Um, but, uh, I'll start off with you, Zach, talking about their performance, their role moving forward and, uh, anything else you want to talk about them? Yeah, I I did like the look of it. And, you know, we saw hints of it last season under Tuchel where we actually played our best football when our fullbacks were inverting and basically becoming, um, for lack of a better term, and forgive me here, I know this is sacrilegious to say, false fullbacks. Um, 
<laughs> so basically what that means know. is that you're they tuck, definitely you're definitely they, american by the way well look look let me explain they they tuck in um into the midfield and not in a completely central position but maybe 10 or so yards um more inland than they normally would be and it allows um it allows our midfielders to push up in the attack so guys like enzo guys like rlc um they were making the late runs to help join the attack and try to um and try to create something from deeper positions but what i like about it was Reese James and Chilwell were also finding the overlaps and underlaps consistently as well. So it was kind of giving them the option to sort of pick and choose their moments to press for, uh, to push forward, their moments to tuck in and just sort of retain possession. But in particular with, with Reese James and Chilwell, I think it suits them both. I, personally, I'd prefer if Chilwell was more focusing on overlapping and underlapping as opposed to tucking in. But I really don't mind Reese James tucking into that midfield and just creating a more solid defensive block. Because he also possesses that ability to play um, to play those crosses and play those balls into the box from those positions, similarly to what we saw Aspi do with um, with Murata when we, when he scored like five or six goals for us a long long time ago. But it was just really good to see them both back and banging. I mean, the first half they were both a little bit quiet. I think that they both came into their own. The second half, Reese James in particular, Chilwell had about a 15 or 20 minute spurt where it looked like he gave absolutely everything and ran himself to the ground. But again, the signs are there. Um, you know, Reese James looks like he's going to be the ideal foil for a guy like Madueke if he's playing off of the right. And um, Chilwell, you know, again, we talked about the link up between Joao Felix and Mudrik. You know, it does need a little bit of work between Chilwell and Mudrik, but the signs are there. Again, we we have a fullback now that has the ability to play the ball forward and play the ball out of danger in a progressive way as opposed to a more conservative way um, that focuses more on ball retention. So I was happy with the performances overall. Um, with that being said, I think Kukurea came in and didn't do that terribly. I mean, his crossing is atrocious, but that's not why we bought him. Um, but overall, you know, as long as our fullbacks stay healthy, I think we can keep looking forward to performances like this in terms of the level of play. It's just a little scary, though, because we don't have a backup for either. That's a like for like stylistically. So if either one of them were to go down again, and this is the same problem we had in the last two seasons, we might be screwed. So, you know, uh, Playing this well definitely is going to hinge on both of their health long term, and hopefully they do stay healthy. Uh, Andreas, if Kukurea, if crossing isn't his thing and he's not as exactly a stalwart on defense, uh, how does he even fit in in a uh, Potter's system? I think this is the answer. It's uh, the inverted fullbacks is is how you prevent this, and I. And I know, Zach, you're saying like the fear is if our fullback, starting fullbacks go down, this won't work. I Honestly, I think it makes it simpler on the backups, Kukureya and potentially Chalaba at this point, who we see as the right back backup, as, as, at least in the few matches before Reese was back. All they got to do is tuck in a little bit in front of Thiago plus body of shield usually, and they protect Enzo at that point. That's their whole job. And now, at least in this match, you saw Mudrik and Ziyech really far wide, like heels on the touchline. And when you have someone like Felix at the 10, and then you have a double pivot that has a little bit more freedom to move forward because of the inverted fullbacks, it it doesn't necessarily mean that our defenders need to be doing the overlapping runs. Our double pivot can. So it almost looks like a two or 
what is it? A two, three, five, almost. Because you can have your two center backs, your two inverted fullbacks. Probably Enzo stays a little bit further back because he likes the ball to his feet. And then whether it's Loftus-Cheek or Kovacic, plus Felix, Mudrik, Madueke, and whoever's playing the nine, those guys can then cause chaos. So it almost it's almost like the equivalent to what, and I hate to use a football term, but this is the best I can think of, is when the defensive line does a what they call a contain they're not looking to sack the quarterback they're there to prevent a big run from the backfield the fullbacks are doing that they're going to sit and and help recycle possession but if we do lose possession in the final third they're there to win it back before it gets to the deep you know long ball over the center backs and that sort of thing uh so to Mm -hmm. me i think this really plays into the advantage of our 1v1 players mudrik Madueke, when we see him again on the weekend, they're going to get to be isolated 1v1. And if they need the overlap, it's a secondary thing. It's not the go-to like it was in the 3-4-3 with Tuchel, where you had to have Chilwell, where you had to have Reese James always bursting forward for us to do anything in the attack. I think this is going to force us to be less dependent on spamming crosses because we're going to need to create a little bit more from the middle. Okay, I mean, I'm buying into it, honestly. I'm slowly buying into it because the way that you guys explain it honestly gives me comfort <laughs> for what you think, what you see happening. Um, but obviously, everyone listening knows I'm a fullback guy. That's my favorite position. My two favorite players are Reese James and Ben Chilwell. So um, obviously, watching them thrive, that that's exactly what I want to see at Chelsea. Um, let's talk about our midfield, RLC and Enzo. I mean, Enzo, every match he's looked, he's 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 looked so comfortable on the ball, doing everything uh, that you want a midfielder to do. Even again, taking the shots on target, uh, the the creating chances with like balls over the top, um, recycling possession, playing defense. Although, arguably, he had one defensive play that didn't work out too well and ended up in the goal. Um, But other than than that, he had an amazing game. Uh, RLC, I thought he looked, I mean, as Zach already mentioned, he looked a little shaky in the first half and kind of became more comfortable in the second half. But moving forward... I'll start off with you, Andreas. Do you see this being utilized, this this pairing utilized a lot more, or maybe we can get Zakaria in there instead of RLC? Yeah, I, I mean, I think today was a bit more of a wake up call uh, when facing a team that's going to be pressing you for 90 minutes. I think it took him a while to adjust, and and that comes with the territory of not playing for a while, coming off an injury, and all that. I don't think RLC at the end of the day is going to be our highest ceiling, but for the time being, I hope it continues because Kovacic isn't ready and Zakaria is not ready. What we may see is RLC getting earlier subs and or vice versa. He will be the sub to come in. But I mean, for the weekend, you would think that it's him again, uh, unless Tuchel's ready to give somebody else minutes. But those guys haven't even come off the bench yet. We haven't seen a Kovacic cameo. We haven't seen a Zakaria cameo. 
against Southampton, I think you you definitely give this a shot. RLC likes to dribble. If he's not going to be pressed, he's going to have far more comfort on the ball. Uh, but for for the now, it did a serviceable job. Bellingham looked good today, but he was also the most dispossessed player on Dortmund. And, and that goes a long way for what our midfield did against them today. And and then the second leg, we might have uh, N'Golo Conte back. So, Oof. you know, mm. we can play him. We can play them. But obviously, only play him during Champions League and then, you know, keep him wrapped up in bubble wrap in between match days. So, and only bring him out. chamber or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> only bring him out on Champions League match days. Other than that, you can just chill. Um, but, Zach... What were your thoughts? I thought they looked good together, just like they did against West Ham. I mean, it was one of the only difference was against West Ham. They were one of the few bright spots, and here they were one of the many. Um, in particular, I am impressed with RLC. I know it's only his second game back, but that's two consecutive starts in a row after not seeing the pitch for a pretty long amount of time. And he came in and he looked comfortable. The first half, he did look a little frazzled. I'm not even going to lie. I wanted him off. I actually wanted Kovacic or Zakaria to kind of come in and deputize in the second half. But um, he actually came into his own. And just kind of looking at the stats here, he even completed or he even uh, successfully had more tackles than uh, Enzo. So in terms of the energy level, the ground covered, um, you know, his reading of the game, it was really spot on today. Um, and then in terms of Enzo, I mean, he just gives you – a little bit of everything, doesn't he? And and he does everything so well from tackling, playing the first time pass, um, clipped balls over the top. Um, he almost had two. He almost had a goal today at the very end. If Koble wasn't having the game of his fucking life, it would have been the equalizer, bending and bending it into the top corner. But um, again, the more I'm seeing him play for us, the more it's really making me wonder what he would look like if he was given a freer role where he can advance higher up the pitch and join the attack a little bit more and be more involved in build-up play. Um, because I really think he could be that Cesc Fabregas type of player for us, um, you know, if we find the right foil for him. And you guys mentioned N'Golo Conte. I think at this point in time, RLC is the guy that I would want next to him. And I think the only other player I would want ahead of him would be Conte at the moment. Um, Zakaria might be a good fit next to him, but I am a little bit concerned um, with, the chemistry between them two, because I know Enzo doesn't speak very much English whatsoever. Um, and I'm not sure how well Zakaria speaks English, to be honest. So I don't know how that chemistry is going to go. Um, but with Ko- with Kovacic, that's another interesting combination that we haven't seen yet. That stylistically would look really similar to the RLC pairing because it's a similar profile of player, somebody that likes to run at, at defenses, break lines with their dribbling, but also can do that with his passing. And I think Kovacic could put forth a bit better of a defensive shift in the long term as opposed to RLC. So, uh, so in, in support of Zakaria, yeah, uh, the whole the whole obviously not being able to communicate. Like, how can RLC and Enzo communicate? Yeah, right I was now? like, like RLC doesn't speak Spanish, Enzo doesn't speak English. I don't think that'll affect much. Yeah, fair. I I agree there. Is I that think fair? I think Zakaria speaks English just fine. Like but it's any, not like uh, he's like Tarzan, me, Tarzan, you, Jane. <laughs> that's, I don't think that's what <laughs> Zach is saying. But anyway, also another point. I mean, Zach just, just like, also fluent in Spanish, by the way. I mean, if we're going to get into uh, the linguistics of it all. Uh, but besides that, like talking about tactically, what you said mm-hmm. is 
you envision a situation where, or you would want a situation where he's able to push up forward more. So, I mean, obviously that means you want to bring in a CDM. Um, yeah, just uh, somebody I, like a traditional defensive uh, midfield player, somebody that can basically somebody that can sit in front of the two center backs while Enzo could go do his thing in the attack. And don't you think that's right now on the current roster, Zakaria probably plays that role better than anyone else, even like as like probably even better than like a guy like N'Golo Conte. He he would. My only concern with Zakaria is the range of passing. Now it's not the worst thing ever if he's just constantly playing short passes to Enzo all day, but I feel like we could get somebody in there that has the right balance of defensive duty and and range of passing, similar in kind of like the Rodri kind of mold, where he's able to sit in front of the center backs, but he could play any kind of pass that you can ever want a midfielder to play. Um, Not necessarily like the Zakaria type, who's just more of a ball winner, bruiser, I'm going to win the ball, play the short pass to Enzo, and then Enzo's going to make the progressive pass. I feel like that would be the chemistry between them two if they did play together, but who knows? I mean, Zakaria has surprised us every single time he's played for us so far. I'm a big fan of his, to be honest, in terms of just ha- keeping him in and around the squad. But in terms of his long-term future being that DM for us in this whole rebuild process, I'm still not 100% sold on him. Sure. I mean, I'm not talking about long-term. I'm talking about right now. Long-term. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Declan, right now. Declan right. Rice type also works pretty well. Yeah, I, I mean, Zach, I mean, you, you're like, ah, just... If only I could have the very, very best thing next to Enzo. Like, <laughs> you're giving us Rodri as an example. I think Zakaria will work just fine. That's what was happening at Benfica anyway. It's it's just, it, it doesn't have to be a guy that collects the ball from the center backs because Enzo did that at Benfica. He did that for Argentina. He's okay with going to collect it because he wants to be sort of like everything funnels through me. I think it's just a guy that's there to cover his ass when, when he's dictating play up front. So... To me, Zakaria works just fine. I think Zakaria gives you better defensive cover than someone like RLC. Um, he's very good dribbling on the ball. Like he's shown us that he can carry the ball forward after winning it. And he hasn't shown us that his passing is limited for this role. Plus, he's actually going to have wide attackers. And we just spent a decent amount of time talking about where the fullbacks are placing themselves now in possession. So Honestly, if, if he if his job is to filter the balls to the likes of Chilwell, Enzo, and, and Reese James, that's fine by me as long as it secures the middle of the field. Because while while RLC did okay today, there was times where Enzo was all alone, and and it was a little bit scary in transition. That's, that's the thing. Like when it comes down to RLC, like yeah, he can do the role for now, but. I just don't see him performing at this kind of level for 10, 15 games yeah. on the spin in that position. Yeah, the so, ceiling's again, not very he's... high. The ceiling's yeah, exactly. not very high. But exactly. again, compared to putting Gallagher out there where Gallagher was, was a little lost in what he was asked to do, this is it. Like, this is as, as good as it's going to get. I think the next level is is Kovacic where you can have a true double pivot, right? If Enzo drops and he gets the ball to Kova, Kova can then dribble or vice versa. Koba gets out of pressure, gets the ball to Enzo, and then Enzo progresses it with a pass. I think that's the next level of it. But even then, Kovacic doesn't have, again, the, the level of physicality of someone like Zakaria. And then eventually, if Conte can, you know, like Sam said, last longer than a, a piece of China and what is it, a bull running through a China shop kind of thing. Yep. Like if he can not break at the sign of anybody breathing on him, 
maybe that's the final evolution of this for this season. But yeah, the, it looks like we're sticking to the 4-2-3-1 until further notice. Yeah, and it's also important to note Zakaria, I don't think he made the bench today. Um, I know he's been hurt, but from what I saw, his expected return was supposed to be today. Um, he's been practicing, maybe, yeah. yeah. Maybe he's not match fit yet. Um, but again, like what we're talking about is future tense throughout just like for this season, not necessarily today. No, actually, you know what? I take it back. He was on the bench. I'm looking right now. But um, so uh, uh, we'll see. Maybe maybe we get an appearance midweek. Who knows? Or uh, sorry, whenever we play against Southampton. Anyway, moving on. Um, let's let's talk a little bit about how this match made you feel about Graham Potter. Uh, I mean, Zach, I mean, Andres, sorry. You sent a screenshot earlier today to me uh, of our recent form, and it looks like a relegation side. Uh, and, and it looks like a relegation side that, after going through the span of results like this, would automatically sack their manager. I mean, no questions asked. But we're in a different situation, obviously. We've talked about this at length. Uh, as far as giving him till the end of the season, definitely, maybe next season. Um, but the it's it it's been bad. Okay, in 2023, we've scored four goals in nine matches in all competition. In all competitions, we have we failed to score in five of those nine matches, and that uh, four goals in nine matches or whatever. Uh, is the is the lowest in the Premier League. So in 2023, we're the lowest scoring Premier League team. But uh, just talking about what we see with Graham Potter um, and his progression, I don't know if I would say that's a progression when we haven't won for five matches. Um, but from what we saw today, I'll start off with you, Andres. How did today make you uh, affect your opinion on Graham Potter, if it did? I mean, yeah, it's crazy because it's only been a few days, but Zach and I debated over and over what's plan B. Is there a plan B? And I felt like today the subs actually did change how we played. We can talk ad nauseum about the fact that Kukurea can't cross, but when he came on, he was actually only overlapping to allow Mount to drift centrally, which is a change to how we started the game. And and our big complaint was that the way we start the game is how we finish the game. And it's just names switching when he makes subs and it's not tactical changes. I felt like today that was for sure a tactical change. Uh, and I thought that was positive. Also, I think the fact that our defense has gotten better. I mean, we lost 4-0 to City. We lost 2-1 to Fulham, and then we got three clean sheets in a row. The West Ham goal was like a blunder. It wasn't like West Ham was the better team. And then today's goal, I mean, we all saw it. Missed coverage leads to Enzo being outrun by the second fastest guy on the pitch. And, I mean, at that point, Kepa was left to, to lose. So we solidified the defense. We've now seen that today more clearly what the fullbacks are supposed to be doing and then on top of that we're seeing what the attacking midfielders are supposed to do on the ball so 
the big question was, is there a vision? Is there a plan? What is the style? Well, I think today I saw it. It's buildup is still a little slower than probably needs to be, but build the ball out the back, play inverted uh, fullbacks. Uh, wingers extremely wide and asking for ball to feet to then make the initial sort of move a 1v1 sort of beat the defender and then cause an overload. And then in front of the box, we can kind of mix it up. It can be a cross from the touchline. It can be a cut back at the top of the touchline or you're played through over the top with Enzo. So, I mean, I'm seeing key components, but the big thing that's still missing, that's still missing. And, and until we see it, the players are only going to exponentially jump to the next level when we finally win. It's all great that in interviews, Reese James and all the other players are like, oh, we know what the project is. We understand the manager. We're we're slowly gelling and all that. But you're going to that that can only take you so far until the results match. I think right now it's easy because, you know, we're not getting any closer to the top four. Um, today, you get a pass, I think, because you were the dominating team and there is a second leg. Like if we lost one nil and got eliminated. I don't think it would be such a positive conversation, mm-hmm. but I think the players are coming out of this game with a little bit of like, we got this. We today was nuts, but we got this, but that can only go so long until you win. You know, like we tied Liverpool. It's like next week we got this, but then we tied Fulham next week. We got this. We tied fucking West Ham. Like we're playing bottom of the league. Like if we thought West Ham was relegation, Southampton's next. Like now more than ever, we have to win. And that's the thing where I'm like still hung up on with Potter. It's like today he managed well, but at what point is, is that enough? Like the players missed the 20 shots. I'm not saying that Potter is the one that missed them, but until he, until we get wins, that's when the players are going to potentially, you know, this, this project and what's happening in training can fade. So we just need to win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the cold hard proof is winning games and scoring goals to win games. And that's the only thing that was missing from this performance. Because like you said, I mean, it it does look like the project's coming together. The patterns of play are finally there. I don't think it's a coincidence that we had our arguably our best performance under Potter um, with both healthy fullbacks and Reese James and Ben Chilwell starting. I think those are key components to our success in general. Um, But overall, it does look like that there's just a general buy-in, at least from the players that played today, in terms of what Potter demands on and off the ball. And, you know, the way we started the game in particular is how I'd like to see us play further down the line. And I think that's what Potter's trying to get at, you know, winning the ball in um, the other team's defensive areas or in our attacking third and um, and hitting them quickly on the counter. Um it looked really fluid to start the game off, and we gave them a lot of problems, especially guys like Joao Felix, Mudrik with this pace. Um, Ziyech didn't really come alive until the second half. But, you know, if you look at the stat sheet, I mean, 20 shots, we already talked about that. But look at where the shots are coming from. They're here, there, and everywhere. It's not necessarily just our striker taking pops at goal or Enzo, sh- take, you know, ripping 30-yard um, screamers all day. It's we're getting shots inside of the box. We're getting quality looks in, in, in especially 1v1 opportunities where, you know, it's just literally the keeper <laughs> preventing us from scoring as opposed to, you know, kicking it straight into defender's shins like we've seen time and time again in the past God knows how many games. 
so overall, yeah, it's it's definitely a, a positive step in the right direction. I think Graham Potter's demeanor in this game was good as well. He didn't look frustrated. He didn't look like he was slowly rotting away on the sideline like he did at West Ham. Instead, he looked excited. And, and, and at times he even looked a little frustrated in the way that we did where he knows we're playing well, but we're just not getting the goal. The camera panned to him a few times where Joao Felix missed some of his chances. And you can just see the excitement on his face prior to the chance being missed. Like I, I talk about how this Chelsea team's on the verge of blowing up. I think Potter is too in the sense that once we have that game where we just wipe the floor with the team, Potter's going to be running up and down the sideline celebrating like a madman in no time. I, I really don't <laughs> think so. I, I don't know if he'll run around like a madman, but I think he's finally going to like he's going to be a little bit more like snippy at, at uh, press conferences. Cause before this match actually, Oh, he was, well, I was going to mention, he, if you don't think he gets mad, then I would, I would, uh, I guess you don't know anything about anything then. Yeah. He the said like, I came from like football. the ninth, ninth division in the North County leagues to Chelsea manager and champions league. And if you think yeah. that I haven't gotten mad or have only been nice through it all, like you don't know shit. Yeah, exactly. And, and <laughs> I, to be honest, shit. like, Listen, that's Saul, not basically last, what he said. Last pod, I ripped him because I hated his demeanor on the sideline, especially when we didn't get the penalty shout. Just the the, the absolute dismissal of it after the game and saying like, mm-hmm. "Oh yeah, it was a penalty, but we move on." That really pissed me off, especially when Dave came out and was like, "No, fuck that. We were pissed off. That should have been a fucking penalty. We should have won that damn game." Um, I I do want to see a little bit more of that from Potter right now, but no complaints after this performance besides the goal scoring because. You know, even if he's not giving us that physical reaction that we're calling for, the team's reacting on the pitch. So it means that the message is definitely getting through in a dressing room. The ideas are clearly getting through to the players. And the style of play is really starting to creep in and show, um, like we saw in this game. I mean, this was a very Brighton-esque performance from last season. Tons of shots at goal, winning the ball with high pressing, tons of energy, guys running themselves into the ground left, right, and center making the correct substitutions at the correct times. Um, it's just that fucking goal, man. We just need to start scoring. You know, it's crazy because for two teams in such terrible form, uh, they really put on a show today. Terrible uh, form? They're unbeaten in 2023. They're actually yeah, the best was on team. fire. They're the best team in Europe in, in, in this calendar year, statistically. Have they really been? Yeah, in, in the turn, yeah. since the return of the World Cup, they haven't lost, and they've scored like an average of three goals a game. I know that Holler, when Holler came back, he scored a hat trick, right? I mean, yeah. something like uh, that. They, I mean, they did you see Julian Brandt today? Like, what the f- – the dude is yeah. was mediocre as hell for the past, like, two seasons. And then I – you know, I don't watch the Bundesliga as much as I used to because I've slowly lost faith in that league. But – God, he was just on one today. And and a lot of their players are playing on crazy confidence. Their right back, Wolf, is a nobody. Yet he was in our box like three, four times. It's just, again, they are full of confidence. And we were completely on the opposite end. And we still looked better. Yeah, clearly I don't watch Bundesliga either. But, <laughs> you know, right when the match ended, I thought I cannot wait for the second leg of this match because... I get, yeah, the results sucked, but A, like I said, it was an awesome match just to watch, and second, uh, I thought we were the better team, and I think everyone on that pitch thought the same thing, that 
Dortmund is very fortunate to walk away with a 1-0 win. Uh, very, very fortunate to keep a clean sheet uh, with how many chances we should have put away. So that second leg, I, I'm going into it with a lot of confidence. I don't know about you guys. We'll see the matches leading up to it, obviously, what happens. But uh, if it's just against Dortmund, I think we stand a really good chance at the bridge. Um, we did post a poll on on Twitter. We got uh, hundreds and thousands of votes. Uh, in fact, we uh, we got an email from Elon Musk said that uh, our poll was eating up too many of uh, Twitter's resources and we had to stop it um, hmm. before before Twitter got shut down. Um, and we asked, will Chelsea advance? 77.8% voted yes, 22.2% voted no. So obviously I'm not alone in having this confidence. Looks like a, a vast majority of our listeners have the same same feeling. Uh, Zach, how are you feeling going into the second leg? I feel confident. I mean, I would have been happier if it was just the nil-nil and we got the draw, but you know, being one nil down, seeing the amount of chances we created on the road, especially, um, I feel good about our chances. And let's keep in mind as well, in two weeks' time, we're probably going to be a much better side than we were today if things continue on the up. So all things considered, if we stay healthy, um, we should be able to get the job done in a second leg. There's no fucking chance Koble can play the way he did this time around. That's all I can think of. That, alongside the fact that Enzo, or not Enzo, excuse me, Felix missed twice on things that even Ray Hudson was like, that'll never happen again. Ray Hudson, however you say his name correctly. So to me, it's just bring that intensity again. Cross our fingers. We don't have any injuries from today to there. And I mean, is it really too much to ask for to to just win two nil, maybe through you know into extra time with a two one and, and and try to finish it off? I I think it's very doable. 2012, we got absolutely dominated by Napoli, three one. We went back to the bridge and we won, and it was a totally different situation. That team was completely out of confidence, and this time around, I feel like they saw the building blocks, they saw the chances there, and know that if that game got replayed three more times, odds are we probably would have come out on top of those three times. I like the parallel you drew between the Napoli uh, tie and this one because I do remember feeling very hopeless after that first leg, and I don't feel that way after this one. I'm, I've, I felt great about it, honestly. Just Obviously, I was upset uh annoyed but i feel confident um so we'll talk more about that closer to the second leg any final thoughts before we wrap this up and talk about southampton no i'll take that as a no from both of you guys let's talk i know you guys are dying to get into the southampton preview um there was uh, – I'll, I'll let Zach explain this because I had just heard about this story uh, right before we started recording. So Jesse Marsh had was in talks to uh, sign as Southampton's manager. What happened with that? 
So apparently it was all agreed upon, and this was like sometime last night. Um, we're recording on what's today, Wednesday? Yeah. Wednesday. So we're recording on Wednesday evening. Um, so sometime last night it was supposedly agreed that Jesse Marsh would eventually wind up at Southampton for the remainder of the season. And you wake up this morning, you find out that the talks have ended and that the deal is no longer on the table. I guess um, there was some dispute about the length of the contract. I think Southampton wanted him to go through the end of the season. And I kind of see where things went. And uh, Jesse Marsh insisted on a multi-year deal. So better for us. Um, the last time a Jesse Marsh team played us, they wiped the floor with us. So, you know, it's better that he stays away from us for now. He can sign for Southampton after we beat them. And no new manager bump. So exactly. we'll take that. Still no new manager bounce. Um, yep. So Southampton, obviously right now they're dead last in the Premier League. 15 points. Uh, they're three behind 19th place Bournemouth. They've only won one of their last six. They've lost three in a row. Winning one of their last six, that kind of sounds like Chelsea right now. Um, so <laughs> the only thing we need to worry about is giving up a pen or a James Ward-Prowse uh, set piece. And knowing Chelsea will probably give up both and they'll score two goals on us. Uh, but uh, what what do you guys uh, – again, like we don't need to go too in-depth on what we – expect to see from Southampton we can focus more on what we're gonna do Andreas I'll start off with you what do you want to see as far as team selection uh as far as strategy um uh, for team selection I want to see Kai get benched I think it's time I think that for a team that's probably going to sit in the low block I want a more physical presence in the box at this point I'll even take Obama Yang just Fofana or Aubameyang over Kai. I don't think we need a false nine playmaker here because Mudrik, Felix, and Madueke can handle that part. Uh, same double pivot. Again, unless Kovacic is ready for substantial minutes or Zakaria is ready for substantial minutes, I'll, I'll keep riding with RLC. Um, Chilwell back into the starting 11 again. And in terms of tactics, I, I just think it has to be quick build up out the back. Southampton is not hasn't hoot till Southampton anymore. They're in panic mode. I think they're going to be sitting in a deep block. So we just need to get that ball forward quickly before they settle in with two lines of four, if not a line of five and a line of four, because that's where we really struggle. Uh, I know now we have Enzo, so maybe things can change a little bit. But even more of a reason to have a true nine, because if a long ball over the top comes, I need to have someone that's just going to pull the trigger and not overthink that situation. So, yeah, I mean, Maidueke in for Ziyech, Chilwell back into the 11, Fadia Shil back into the 11, um, and just not Kai Havertz at the nine. Not, not Kai Havertz. I think that's the main moral of your, uh, of your story. Zach, anything else you want to add on? Um, I think it's going to be Tiago Silva rotating out of the team. I think he's played a lot of minutes so far. Um, it was a bit concerning that he played the full 90 today. Again, it would have been so nice if we just got two or three goals, got the chance to rest Tiago Silva a bit, but my center back pairing that I picked is Koulibaly and, uh, the bad man. Um, I have Reese James and Chilwell playing as fullbacks. Um, Enzo Fernandez, and I have Kovacic playing next to him, starting next match. 
um, ahead of Loftus-Cheek. Again, I think it's a minutes thing. Loftus-Cheek was pulled off against West Ham because it was his first match back. Probably it was a fully match fit. Played the full 90 today. So I'd be pretty surprised if he started against Southampton. But again, I wouldn't be opposed because his form has been pretty good. Um, in terms of the three playing in front of them, I think Felix has to keep playing, man. I know he's played a lot of minutes, but he, he, he's undroppable. Uh, he he sat out for three, like three weeks. I think he'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. I Facts. mean, two games in a week. Facts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So two games in a week, um, obviously. But again, besides the minutes that he's played, he's he's been too damn good. You can't sit a guy that's on fire on the bench like that. Even if you play him for an hour and then hook him off, who gives a shit? Um, Matoweke on the right, Drick starting out on the left. And I think uh, Kai Havertz is going to get dropped for this one. I think we'll see a little bit of Fofana uh, playing up top for us. Um I know it's a it's an interesting shout. A man can always dream, so that's exactly what I'm gonna do. Interesting shout. I haven't heard that one before. Start uh, Fofana over Havertz. Very interesting. But it's a, it it's be... a new idea that I just created. Hopefully it'll uh, catch on. <laughs> Hopefully it'll catch on to Graham Potter. Uh, I think he's <laughs> he's he out of anyone else uh, should hear that and ad- adopt it as their own. Um, all right. Let's get into uh, our predictions, score predictions, and then we can wrap it up. Uh, in all seriousness, I said we're going to give up two goals, but uh, depending on who we play in the back line, Battier Shield's probably going to start. I don't know who's going to be alongside him. I don't know if I, I, I don't know if Afana was was he back today? Um, but yeah, he was on the bench. He was, Afana was on as well. the bench. Yeah, so, so maybe we see him out there. I we don't know. could see we could see Thiago Silva start and then Fofana come in as a sub. That might I, be. I, I'm with you on. To... I'm with you on like just giving him the day off. Um, Rest, yeah. Yeah, we need we need to rotate him a little bit, but uh, with that back line, doesn't matter. I think we keep a clean sheet and we score one. I'm, I'm not I'm not expecting. The goal count to explode uh, just after one match. Maybe Fofana is the difference maker, but I'm I'm predicting a one nil win for Chelsea. Hopefully, because I can't take another draw. Uh, Zach, what about you? I'll kill myself if the Southampton keeper has a Cobble esque <laughs> game against us. Um, I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna double your prediction. I'm gonna go two nil. I think we keep a clean sheet. Um, I don't think we explode with goals, but I do think it's going to be similar to this game where we just create a shit ton of opportunities. Um, but I think two of them are going to go in. Is that, I mean, Andreas. Yeah, because I because I think we're going to shift a little bit. Who is up top? I don't expect it to be more than two goals. I was thinking, like, could it be three? Maybe. I'd love it to be three. But I don't think Southampton is ever going to come and try to flip the script and, and be the the sort of attacking force. So yeah, I think two nil is a is a nice is a good score and a hopefully what we end up getting. Hopefully Mudrik right. gets a goal or assist. He needs it. He needs it for sure. Um I think I, I'm I'm gonna stick with that prediction too. Um I'm gonna co sign that Mudrik gets a goal. Not just an mm. assist, a goal. Love that. Um so that wraps it up for this episode of Blues on Parade. If you're not already following us on Twitter, 
Uh, you can find us at Blues on Parade. Uh, and I mean, if you if you don't have a Twitter, you can be like uh, Sophie Bikes at Sophie Bikes and create a Twitter just to respond to us for Twitter questions because she joined and her three tweets are responding to us. And as of a couple of hours ago, uh, she had zero followers following zero, but now she has one follower, which is us. Yeah. Thank you for that. And then she, we are now her one follower. So follow, follow in the footsteps of Sophie bikes. Just make a Twitter to interact with us. We read every single Twitter, every single tweet, um, and give you a shout out if you respond to our post match question tweet. Um, and until next time, after Southampton, we got three points. Keep the blue flag flying high.